Hi, and welcome back to the WordPress Edge podcast, the ultimate destination for professionals looking to harness the power of WordPress for large-scale enterprise solutions. I am your host, Landon DePasquale, enterprise web strategist here at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be going to the edge to discuss when is it time to consider rebuilding your website. To discuss this topic, I'm joined by Ellis LeMay, senior web strategist at AmericanEagle.com. Ellis, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So, Ellis, you talk to quite a few prospects that walk in the door here at American Eagle around WordPress specifically. Let's start with when you're talking to someone, when do you consider uh, a rebuild versus just kind of shoring up what they already have? Yeah. Thinking about a lot of the introductory calls I have with prospects where it's like the first conversation you're having with them. So you're literally doing introductions, learning who's who, but then you start to ease into the basic overview of what do you need and what do you want? Like, what are you thinking? Um, what made you call us? For me, it kind of branches off into sort of two sort of lanes. You've got the design component of a website, and then you've got the functional component of the website, what it does, what it fulfills for the business or the customers or the the users. And I think, and the reason I, I mentioned that is because I think when you're talking about a redesign and asking like, is it time to redesign? There are times when you can have really buttoned down or buttoned up, you know, backend functionality, your requirements are fulfilled. Like your site does what it needs to do, functionally speaking, pretty well, but you've undergone some other organizational change, maybe with branding, maybe you've got new leadership uh, in several positions and they view how they communicate the value of the company or its services and products differently, that could very much call for a rebuild purely from like a design standpoint, you know? And then I see the inverse where, you know, the design is actually pretty good. Like it's a modern website. It looks good. It flows nicely. It's got a, you know, good UX, but some other, you know, uh, shift in the business changes the way that they offer products, or maybe they've got a new part of the business where they need to add functionality to their website. So those two things can really, I think, be the driving factors for a redesign. And I honestly think most people listening would probably agree with that. You know, and then, of course, you get those 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 you get in those conversations. You realize, wow, we've got both elements here. Not only is your design completely out of date and it needs to be modernized, but so do uh, do your, your your functional components of your site, too. I'm really glad you brought up that distinction between the redesign of the visual elements and the complete rebuild of the technical elements, because I think that is an important distinction that a rebuild may have a redesign in it. It may not. Or you may need to completely raise the whole thing and and tear it down. So I think mm -hmm. that's a really important distinction. Does rebuilding always mean tearing out everything that's old and putting in completely new stuff in your experience? I think the, the ultimate answer is no, it doesn't. But then when you kind of narrow the conversation to a WordPress specific context, I actually find that it does a lot of the time, not every time. I think one of the factors that that can really make a complete teardown and, and build up necessary actually has to do with a lot of the page builders that fuel the WordPress ecosystem. Yeah. Because I've, throughout my career and my time building with WordPress, I've used pretty much all of them. Some I've relied on heavily through for, for years even, you know, and they were kind of my go-to tech stack for building sites. Others I just sort of dabbled with for familiarity's sake. But, you know, they come and they go. Uh, there's there's major, you know, page builders. I don't know if we're allowed to like talk about them by name, but, you know, there's major page builders that have been around forever. You know, you've got Visual Bakery, you've got Elementor, you've got Beaver Builder, you've got the Avada Fusion Builder, right? There's probably a few more that I'm forgetting off the cuff right now, but 
these things offer marketers and web admins unbelievable capability because they can build pages and edit content pretty freely, right? The downside to those types of systems, though, is that they really hold your site together, right? Yeah. Like they're proprietary is not the right word, but but they're set up in a way that if you build every single page of your website with one of these page builders, doing a front end refresh where you just liven up the front end might mean that you have to swap out one of those builders for a different one that gives you other capabilities you want. But the second you deactivate that page builder, boom, your site pretty much evaporates because yeah. all of your styling and all of your page structure is just gone, right? So these things are cool because they provide such capability, but then in the context where you need to potentially refreshen things, it could, I think, point to having to tear down the house and start over majority of the time. And I think this is, a, again, a really important distinction here because those sorts of page builders are not great for enterprise level clients. It's one of the reasons why in many of the podcasts we've discussed the importance of the Gutenberg block editor and, and that block editing um, experience, the content governance that goes in that with with all of those, the potential performance impacts of, of a page builder. But I think this is really important because if you are an enterprise customer who has one of these page builders on your site, that may be an indication that it's time to rebuild your website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think if you've got, especially for enterprise customers where their businesses are changing all the time, and sometimes you even have disparate business units operating within the same overall organization, and each one of them has sort of owns a component of their website, right? Like when you write custom code and you build something to be purpose built to do exactly what you want it to do, it means you can always change it later to when your when your plans and intentions change. Yeah. These page builders, like I said, they're cool. I mean, they're WordPress would not be what WordPress is today without them. So I, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, slamming them by any means. They have their time and place for sure. But, you know, they are they're sort of like frameworks in the sense that they do what they do. Getting them to do um, things outside of those those lanes can be very challenging and and in fact sort of risky, you know. Yeah, and I think another important thing to think about is we're in this enterprise space is a WordPress site may be one portion of an entire enterprise architecture, and replacing or rebuilding your site on WordPress doesn't mean tearing down the entire architecture, right? Right. Yeah, I think that the ability for WordPress to interface through the REST API and other things to these other systems and integrate with these other systems allows it to be flexible and versatile. And so if you're dreading a rebuild because you think, oh man, I'm going to have to completely rebuild my entire tech stack from the ground up, that's not necessarily the case here. Yeah, I agree. So you're in an interesting position. As, as I mentioned, you talk to just about every prospect that comes through our doors from a, a WordPress standpoint. So you see people kind of on the tail end of their decision to rebuild. They may not have decided completely that they're going to rebuild their site, but they're at the very least investigating changes and updates to their site. What would you say are some of those indicators that a rebuild is imminent? What are those signs or those leading factors that you go, you can see it on the back end and then kind of looking at it from the other direction? Oh, this is a pretty clear indicator that this person's going going down this path. I think a tall tale sign for me, or a common one, actually, I should rephrase that, a common scenario that I encounter is you've got a company that is relatively new. It's only a couple of years old. And when they were first starting out, they built a site with some off the shelf theme, uh, kind of a canned solution. They stood it up, uh, put it launched on the internet. It did what it did. It served its purpose. But that company is now 
a little bit more matured. They've developed their services. They're expanding their services and they need a more robust web solution to meet that demand with their customers. And at that point, you really have to ask some potentially hard questions around this thing that we once basically pulled off of a shelf through our logo into and some simple copywriting. Maybe we've outgrown this. It's time to just throw it away. And now that we're a more mature company with a, a better set of requirements, basically, for what we need, let's start from the ground up and build and engineer something that's just more organic and integral. Uh, that's a very common like fork in the road that I feel like I end up uncovering when I talk to a lot of people. Yeah. And companies will even go through this like a few times, right? Like you've got your sort of day one, like I started a company with a buddy kind of thing. A couple of years go by, you, you're now more mature. You've, you've got a customer base and you're adding new services or expanding your business in some fashion or another you're going to keep iterating. So you're going to hit that. You're going to circle back around to that point in time. Again, it might be five years. It might be 10 years, but the point is that businesses evolve. So it makes sense that websites do too. Right. And, yeah. and the big involvements in your company can sometimes call for big rearchitectures of your digital foundation. I think we see it a lot with uh, mergers and acquisitions, yeah. right? When you have these large organizations that acquire a competitor or acquire someone else in the space where they want to expand their offerings, that's one that I've seen where when a heavy merger or an acquisition comes in, that is usually a sign that a, a rebuild is or, or at least a refresh is, mm -hmm. is imminent. Typically, we see that around changes in leadership as well. Um, you mentioned previously changing the viewer, the direction that a, an organization is going. Oftentimes, we see that reflected in the, the website. Yep. And then I think you hinted at it earlier, but there are times when your offerings need to mature digitally and whether that's integrating with a new third-party system or moving to selling things online where you might have only been direct to consumer or direct to distributor before those are all items that might impact your decision to go hey this is a completely different beast now and i need something that's going to provide the return on investment that a website should that's actually going to make me money as opposed to just being kind of a, a sink moving forward mm -hmm. yeah um I'm sure you've never seen this with, with any prospect. Um, so this would be hypothetical purely, but would there be a circumstance where someone maybe waited too long and their website started to fail before they started to investigate this question? And is that really the right approach? Yes. So hypothetically speaking, um, you know, what I, the other thing I encounter a lot, honestly, in these conversations is companies evolving, changing their offering, so on and so forth, like we've talked about. Problem is they're trying to roll it out right now. Yeah. Right. And, and so they kind of will call and, 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 and it's sort of like a, can we have this done yesterday sort of thing? Yeah. And then when you, through conversation, find like, wow, like your current solution does actually need to be sort of torn down, re-architected and rebuilt, you know that that's not an overnight maneuver. Um, so then you get into these kind of squirrely conversations where it's like, how do you sort of rapidly produce in small intervals and launch. And I think that's a topic where everyone, that would almost be a whole nother podcast conversation unto itself is like, how do you manage that kind of build scenario? But those can be dicey because, you know, when you're, when you're basically building the plane as it's flying, you're going to take shortcuts, you know, it's just not always conducive to ending up with a good end product or to get that quality. You just got to be prepared that you're literally going to iterate. So, so it's in the spirit of the engagement that you're going to build stuff. 
it's not always going to work because you're going to test it, validate it with users and find out, oh, we should have done something else. You got to tweak it and redeploy it. So you just got to be in that mindset of like, even though you're sort of feeling like you're throwing out work, you're also learning things in the process that inform the next stage of work. So it's not a total waste. It's just more of a mindset that has to be embodied and accepted by an organization that wants to be effective and iterate quickly online. It's key to that agile methodology, right? The yeah. idea that you are going to define an MVP and that might be a, a huge MVP, right? For some of our enterprise clients, that might be a year, year and a half long build, but that iteration is a part of this, right? There, there's never a point where you kind of flip the switch and go, oh, the site's done. We did it. Now, now it's time to, it is a living, breathing organism, whether it's new content, whether it's new functionality, new features. And the beauty of WordPress is that development doesn't have to be, when I say development, I don't mean a developer has to go in and do this. The beauty of this is that that iteration can happen oftentimes with the marketing team testing out new things, trying things and seeing what works. And then as a part of that iterative process, coming up with new requirements of, of the actual things that they're trying to produce. 100%. You know, I'll give you a good example of what you're talking about, where sometimes you can get something to work in a low level, simple way, but then you outgrow it. Um, knowledge bases are yeah. a huge one, yeah. right? Like every organization I talk to, regardless of industry, they have something on their website that kind of resembles like a resource repository. Like it could be guides, it could be literal documentation on software, FAQs, you know, you name it, right? Videos, blog articles, whatever. You know, I've seen companies grow to the point where they have so much collective knowledge to share for a variety of different audiences that they're all, they're better off using an outside system to organize that and yeah. manage that and then integrating it into their website rather than forcing WordPress to try to be that organic solution. Yeah. You know, you can definitely build resource repositories with WordPress, but at scale, I think you're better off using some outside solutions. Again, that's the beauty of WordPress is it's so flexible that you can start with that MVP of doing it in-house and then it has the ability to integrate with all of these other systems. And that's at an enterprise level, the way to go is make it an integration platform to these other spots as opposed to right. the functional core of everything that you're looking to do. Yeah, and I think it also is just a head nod to sort of like the spirit of how organizations want to build their digital landscapes, where I feel like there is a perceived de-risking factor with distributing your solutions across different third parties where they're all integrated because when you do outgrow one component of that, let's say it's your, your knowledge base system, well, you can then migrate all the data from that to another system and reintegrate it. But if you just if you just stay with WordPress, you end up building these monstrously monolithic solutions. Yeah. You know, and I do see that actually a lot where like it's amazing how far a freelancer or just some guy in an organization who knows WordPress pushed a solution, piecing together custom fields, custom post types, uh, an array of plugins. I mean, it's really phenomenal and it's impressive on one level. On the flip side of that coin, it's like we have now a ball of tangled Christmas lights that we have to untangle in order to figure out what the next modernized version of this solution looks like. And that can be challenging. You know? Yeah. Um, and I'm probably going down a rabbit hole here, but in that literal scenario I mapped out, sometimes the challenge is, oh, the internal guy who knew WordPress who worked here for 20 years, well, he quit or he retired and we can't get a hold of him. Here's an admin log into our site. How much does it cost to rebuild? Boy, is that a conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that kind of brings us back full circle. That's another one of those leading indicators of, oh man, uh, if you have something like that right now, 
you probably want to start thinking about at least a process of de-risking that. And it may not need to be a full rebuild. It might be a kind of rehashing of what you have currently. But if you look around your organization and you have these custom bespoke things that have organically developed over time and there is this one person who is essential to running it, actually now is the time to have that conversation, not after that person has left. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, public service announcement for any of our listeners here. If you own a company and you have a guy or a woman in your company who maintains your WordPress site, have them start documentation, uh, at least on a basic level of what's what, how things work, what kind of plugins are involved, and certainly make sure that you have access to all of the systems and peripheral systems that, that go into that. Because if that person leaves, you're in for a world of hurt if you don't have those things. And I know it'd be tempting to say, oh, well, that can't happen in my organization. My organization is huge and we have tons of people. And of course there's coverage, but we have seen in these large enterprise organizations over and over again, the reality that everyone thought someone else was doing it and it slipped through the cracks and there really was one person or no person owning it. And now you're stuck trying to piece together what was there previously. And that's always harder and more difficult and more prone to error than actually being able to develop it properly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. As you think about talking to someone about that rebuild and redesign, where's that balance of cost to value for you? Mm, Good question. Hopefully I answer this correctly. I mean, I think that a lot of it, it's weighing weighing your options and figuring out like, do I really need this thing? I mean, I, I end up having a lot of practical conversations with people where they want a certain feature or they think that a certain uh, feature should maybe fill requirements for a very particular edge case that's not too likely to happen. You know, we're in a world now with technology where it's like, if you can think of it, we can pretty much build it, right? But that doesn't always mean that it's worth the investment. I'll give you an example. I was uh, an easy one too. I was talking to a company last week where they were just convinced that they needed to have the most cutting edge e-commerce store. It needed to offer simple products, complex products, multi-attribute products. It needed a SKU builder based on, you know, certain logic having to do with some of their um, B2B customers. I mean, it just, it was the works. And so we go through this scoping exercise to basically learn that they only do about $8,000 worth of e-commerce business a year. (laughs) And that's the point in time where you got to actually take a step back and just think about what do I need versus what do I want? I mean, these are these are things that we have to do in our personal lives too, you know, to be financially steady, right? If you're only doing $70,000 worth of e-commerce a year, well then then maybe the next iteration of your site should focus on a nicer design, maybe some more intuitive like, you know, UX journeys, but ultimately like keep that functionality rather simple and then develop a great marketing plan to put that solution to good use and have it drive some revenue. Go and literally build the budget and the business case for then the next iteration where you add more commerce intricacies into the picture, right? So that's an easy one to pick on, but that's a recent example I can think of. I've seen exactly the same thing. I can think of an enterprise customer that we had who was kind of pseudo e-commerce and decided that they wanted to lean heavily into a full-blown rebuild around the e-commerce offering, despite the fact that That's not where they made their money. That's not where they sold. That's not where their brand was oriented. Everything about them was not in that Mm -hmm. direction, but they still wanted to go down that route and it, it ultimately didn't end up serving them particularly well as a result. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things too, where people, I think sometimes 
are under the false assumption that if they build it, they will come, you know, uh, that's just not the way it works. We work in a, you know, the, the, the digital landscape is so competitive now, you know, all you have to do is open Instagram and flip through your feed and you'll see ads for competitors. They're all basically jockeying for position to get your attention. And yeah. we're talking about a three second window of time as you scroll through. So when you launch something on the internet with the hope that it's going to make money and drive revenue, you've always got to think that there's other competitors out there, unless you're truly, truly unique, which that's pretty rare. I found one so far. Yeah. So, so we've talked a lot about a lot of circumstances or opportunities where a rebuild makes a ton of sense or a redesign or, or some sort of re-architecting here makes sense. What are some examples of times when a rebuild isn't suggested or warranted? Might not be the greatest answer, but I think when you've got enough balls in the air that you can't actually articulate what you want. I've been part of meetings and phone calls before and, and consulting where I'm working with five or six different stakeholders, they all have a drastically different view of what they need and want to the point where it's kind of hard to actually get them aligned on a single vision and path forward. At the end of the day, if you can't agree on what you need and you view your business differently from the next guy and the next guy, it's going to be hard for any web developer to produce a plan to build something for you. So I guess what I'm trying to say is when you have the balls in the air such to the point that you, you really have no direction on where you need to go, that's a time to pause, have those discussions, figure that out and come back to the drawing board in terms of like, you know, getting estimates and scoping out web development projects once you've got that aligned vision. Yeah. I think another example exactly to that kind of overly busy point is if you don't have the time to engage a rebuild process, um, assuming that your agency is just going to do everything for you and you don't have any role in this is one that we see fairly often and it never ends up well. But I think the other one that I, I think about are, you mentioned it earlier, is the circumstance where someone's under a deadline and they need to meet a particular time frame to hit something. That's rarely the right time to go through a full rebuild and redesign exercise. 100%. I mean, those are two really good ones that you mentioned. And to piggyback off that latter one, I've talked to so many people before where they will where they will want to start a discussion about rebuilding their website in totality, full teardown and redesign and rebuild because two months from now they're going to a trade show Yeah, and they want to, I mean, I get it. You know, you, 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 you're going to an event, you want to look good and feel good. And that for a business that includes your website that you're going to be certainly promoting. Right. But, but my view on it, and maybe this comes down to everybody's individual level of risk tolerance. My view on it is, you might not be happy with the website you have now, but you're probably, if, if really your deadline is like a month away, you're probably better off going to that trade show, sporting your current site because it works. Um, people are probably familiar with it already. And then take the time after the fact to do it well and do it right. And then launch that new site, go to next year's trade show with that great new site. Right. Um, again, risk tolerance. Everyone's going to view it a little bit differently. But. And if you want that different experience, there are ways that we can help you get that without a full rebuild. It might be a single page kind of splash page or a landing page. It might be work around your email marketing campaign. There are all sorts of things that you can do to move the needle. So it's not just, oh, I have this thing and I'm stuck with it and there's nothing I can do. No, there are things that we can do short of a full rebuild to get you through that tight timeline so that then when it comes time to making decisions that are going to have large scale business impacts for you for the coming years, you're making the right decision. You're not trying to do it in haste or trying to 
rush your way through it just because you had to hit a specific deadline around a trade show or a launch of a new product or something like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's where the conversations with clients get really interesting because you're almost always having conversations with them about their business before you're having conversations with them specifically about their website. In the context of this trade show scenario we're talking about here, you literally have to have a conversation with them along the lines of like, well, how does your website fit into the picture of this trade show? Like, what does that mean? Are you going to have scannable QR codes at your booth where people are going to it? Are you going to hand out, you know, uh, print collateral where you're going to be promoting a certain product and directing people to your website? Like, how exactly does it fit in? Because to your point, you don't often have to just tear the thing down and start over in a mad rush. Instead, you need to focus intensely on one specific aspect of the site and make sure that it's going to perform the way you needed to perform on that day or a couple of days. Yeah. Final question for you, Ellis. If there's someone listening to this podcast right now who's considering a rebuild, what should they prep for? What should they use to help them decide about that? What should they do to get ready? I would say take an inventory of your site in terms of what it does. Like what are the functionalities of it? At a basic level, we need to understand how are users interacting with your site? What do they interact with and why? And then supplement that with some notes about how are those how are those aspects performing for the business, right? Is it giving the business the information it needs? Is it is it driving interactions with users that are leading to lead conversions, you know, things like that? I think also having an idea of what you want to communicate in terms of your content journey is equally as important. It's really easy to just focus strictly on functionality because it's the stuff you actually have to engineer and build. But actually something we've left out of this conversation so far is the simple content journey, like what your website says in terms of messaging. Websites are resources. People go there to get help and learn things. Every website has that component to it, even websites that might not be obvious, right? So I think getting an inventory of all those things so that you've got a good, clear picture of what your website's currently doing for the users and organization, that's the foundation we need in order to then have a, a good, purposeful conversation around what version 2.0 looks like yeah. and how we make it better. It's hard to make stuff better if you don't have a benchmark of where it's currently at. Right? Yeah. So that would be my advice. Thank you, Ellis. Is there anything else you'd like to say or you'd like to leave us with before we finish off? No. Thank you for joining us, Ellis. I appreciate it. Always great chatting. Thanks again for joining us at The Edge. I am your host, Landon Pasquale, And until the next episode, feed your WordPress obsession. For more information about today's episode and the topics discussed, check out our dedicated WordPress Edge landing page at AmericanEagle.com studios.